Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, what a wonderful song. I thought of that verse, nothing shall pluck us out of your hand. Nothing shall pluck us out of the Father's hand. And so I thank you that we are secure in your love and you watch over us night and day. And I pray this morning as we talk about that love, that that unconditional, protective, powerful love of Christ that you would work in our hearts. Will you help me to preach clearly and will you help those who are listening to hear in a way that would challenge their heart uh, to live a life that's closer to you? We commit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I don't know what pastor or teacher would ever say he prefers an empty uh, building than, you know, it was tough. And I've got to keep reminding myself, during the COVID shutdown, you left after one sermon. I just have to make sure, if you see me getting in my car after this sermon, will you just wave me down or play the tape if it's any good? Um, well, it is good to, uh, to be here I'm thankful for Sean last week and his message on grace, on practical grace in the life of uh, Mephibosheth. You know, it's amazing. I know I practiced that word before I got up here because it's not easy. And it's especially not easy because I think everyone's saying happy birthday to Mephibosheth because Sean said something like that. There's another word, Mahashalahazbaz. That was Isaiah's son. And I told my sister when she first had a child 40 years ago, I said, if it's a boy, you should name him. Maher Shalahazbaz, that was uh, Isaiah's son. And she didn't, she named him Michael, and he had some people in his kindergarten class that were Michaels, and so I said, well, you, that wouldn't happen if you'd have listened to me. Um, <laughs> but we're doing a series on God, I have a question, and it got cut a little short because of the COVID crisis, so we had two of them. Uh, I love answering questions from the Word of God because it, it just shows that the Word of God is true. And I can't answer all the questions, but I can definitely answer the one this morning. Can anything separate me from the love of Christ? I think it's a common question that we all ask, but maybe we wouldn't all admit that we are asking. Maybe in times of doubt and discouragement, can anything separate me from the love of Christ? Well, Paul says no, and we could just go on to chapter 9, but he gives an incredible, like, th- th- chapter 8 of Romans, you might want to turn there, one of the most incredible books in the Bible, one of the most incredible passages in the scripture, one of the greatest topics, the love of Christ, and one of the greatest passages, Romans eight thirty one to 39, called the Believer's Hymn of Security. And this morning we're going to see just that amazing, powerful, protective. Matt could not have ended with a greater song. Matter of fact, what he read at the end, I wish I could have gotten his notes on that. I would have put it in my sermon. That was so appropriate. And we're talking about the unconditional, powerful love of Christ. I heard a pastor a few months ago talk about marriage and love. And it was on tape. And he said, husbands, listen up. I'm going to give you advice that will save your marriage. You know, 
You always listen up, right? You always listen up when somebody says that. And he said, when your wife asks you this question, and she will, why do you love me? Your answer to that question, your next response will determine the security of your relationship together. If you say I love you because you're smart and you're pretty and you're athletic and you're funny, he said, you just struck out. Now, husbands, you better tell your wife she's smart and pretty and athletic and funny and when you run out of hands, go to the toes. I mean, you better tell her all those things, but don't tell her after you say, I love you because. And then this guy said this. I added all that. He said this. Say, I love you because I chose to love you. And I will never stop loving you. I will never stop loving you. And that's how God loves us, right? I mean, God doesn't say, I love you because you're a good addition to the team and you're just a great kingdom builder and your performance has been way above average, right? God says, I love you because I chose to love you and nothing will ever separate that. I will never stop loving you. And I have a problem with that because I'm performance oriented. You want to kind of, you, you want to not make God proud, but you know he picked you for the team and you just don't want to let him down. Like it's in high school and you get picked and you're like, man, I just want to do my best. And that's okay. It's okay to want to do your best and, and run the race in the Christian life. But my performance doesn't depend on God's love. Uh, so Paul spends the entire chapter encouraging these new believers in Rome that once they become Christians, they'll never be separated from Christ, the God who began my salvation is the one who will see it through to its glorious conclusion. And we're going to say that a lot. I'll be talking about that. But I, I really do want you to see God's strong love this morning. God's strong love for you. This is, this is a strong sermon for the believer. One writer said, it's God's eternal grip on us. And I went through Romans and I was trying to read starting with chapter one and I got stuck at verse seven because he says, those who are loved by God and called to be saints. Isn't that a great description? Those who are loved by God. If you know Christ this morning, you're, you're loved by God and you're called to be a, a saint. And that statement alone is hard to comprehend. The God, the God of the universe, the God who in Isaiah 6 they were crying out, holy, 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 night and day. And it was, it was just this, and that God loves me intensely. And I have a note here. It's hard to comprehend that God loves me. And Paul's trying to show it here, especially in chapter eight. But he says, not only will that love never let you go, but it will never be breached or broken by any outside forces. Nobody can come from the outside, not even yourself, and still the love of God away. Usually, a, I would consider myself a, not a pessimist, uh, maybe a semi-pessimist. And I don't even know if that's a word, and I forgot to look it up on Google. Um, but 
I was going to say semi-optimist, but because I'm a pessimist, I said semi-pessimist. But um, I always ask, what if? Like, what if? What if I'm loved by God, you keep saying, but what if he stops loving me? Or what if God sees that I'm not that great of an investment? What if Satan attacks me so violently and so deceitfully that I can't find my way back to God? What if I come up against a trial in my life that is so intense that it causes me to question my faith in God? I think God is going out of his way this morning, and really in the, whole, the entire word of God, to show us how secure we are uh, in his great love. You know, God does not want his children going throughout life with a he loves me, he loves me not complex. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, any good father, I can't imagine when my kids were small, leaving the bedroom, shutting the door, telling them good night, and they yell good night to me, daddy, I love you, and me just walking in the other room, not saying anything, sitting down at the table, and my wife would say, well, why didn't you yell, I love you back? Well, shit, they've been really bad today. And I told them, until they start acting better, I'll, I'll start saying I love you. Can you imagine how ridiculous that is? It's the same thing with God. It's the same thing with God. We'd never be separated from the love of Christ. He will never let me go. I have a note here. This is genuine. These are, this lesson is for those who genuinely know Christ. I want you who know Christ, you've been transformed by his power, you've trusted him as your savior, I want you to sense that security when times of darkness and doubt and disease and life throws you a curveball that you didn't see. But if you just prayed a prayer and there's no transformation of your heart and there's been no change in your life, the last thing I want you to do is leave here secure. And only you know that in your heart, if there has been a transformation. If you say, I just prayed a prayer and I've never seen a change, then I pray that you'd be the opposite of secure this morning and that you'd run to Christ and become a Christian. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And God always finishes what he starts. Look at Philippians 1.6. He says, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Jesus Christ. What a great promise. And so this is the takeaway from this verse. So don't miss this. You don't have to write it down. It's in your notes on the website, and I'll repeat it constantly. No matter who comes against us or what we are going through, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Let's read it. Verse 31 of Romans 8. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him so freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, and who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, persecution, or famine, nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake we are killed all day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that an amazing passage? I looked in, I have an insurance folder. I told you I was a pessimist. So I have an insurance folder that's like all the things in case I were to uh, expire. And um, the first thing, it's, there's a sheet, and that's the first thing it says is Romans 8, 31 to 39. Romans 8, 30, it's my favorite section of scripture. And we're gonna look at, can anyone separate us from Christ? I'm sure these people are saying, how can you be sure, Paul? Because in verse 38, he says, I am persuaded. I mean, he says, listen, I am so sure of this. And Paul, in a sense, says, I'm so sure that Christ will never let you go, and I hope by the end of this letter, this section of the letter, I hope you feel that way also. He says, what shall we say to these things? What things? All the things that he just said in the previous verses. I know Pastor Phil was talking a few weeks ago when he was finishing the life of Joseph about Romans 8, how we know that God causes all things to work together for those who love God and called according to his purpose. He said, God is such a powerful, sovereign God that he takes every single thing that happens to us and he causes them to work out for our ultimate good and his total glory. And if that's true, and it is, then who can reverse any decision that God has made for you on your behalf? God is the greatest being of the universe and he is, he is just, he is for you. Who can reverse that? Who can successfully reverse that? And you can put in your Bibles there, instead of if God is for us, that can be translated since, because it's true for the Christian. Since, it's already reality, since God is for us. And God is for us in every verse that we'll see this morning. We're gonna give four reasons quickly that we are rock solid secure in Christ. His perfect plan, his priceless gift, his full pardon, and Christ's finished work. And these, these should give you a solid footing. You don't have to have them all memorized, but if you just know these, I mean you know them, they're gonna help you when those times of doubt and darkness come. So God's perfect plan. I had to go back to verse 30 for this one. <clears throat> Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's a tough verse. God predestined. Listen, this is God's plan. It starts somehow with God choosing us. Ephesians 1, 4 said, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. I don't know how that works, but it says it clearly in Scripture. And it ends with us being glorified. And so that's God's plan. I chose you. I, I called you. One day God opened your heart and you understood the gospel. I, I justified you. I accepted Christ. I turned to him and God declared me righteous and he gave me forgiveness. And then I glorified. You can't. It's like that song, Love and Marriage. You can't have one without the what? Other, right? You can't. They're together. They're like that, you see. I don't understand when it talks about God choosing. I wrote this last night because I was trying to figure, figure it out. 
Somehow God can choose men before the foundation of the world and yet salvation can be offered and given to everyone who believes. Both of these truths are taught in scripture perfectly, perfectly, clearly. And they never intersect on this side of eternity. And uh, you can have Ephesians 1, 4 says, God chose him, us and him before the foundation of the world. And then you can have Romans 1, 16, same writer that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I don't try to mess around. You say, that's confusing. Not, not to God. You say, how's that all work? I don't know. You say, you say that a lot in your sermons. That's because I don't know. I just don't know. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. MacArthur was trying to, <clears throat> excuse me, explain this to his congregation in a way, he was trying to show the difficulty of believing that somehow God chooses and yet man has the responsibility and he does it in such a great way. I had to find this. I went through his, it took me a while. Finally, when I found it in one of the sermons in John chapter three, he says, I can't answer this apparent paradox that God chooses and man must believe, so what am I left with? I want to make you comfortable with your inability not to get it. You must be okay with the fact that you might not understand something about God. I know that's a big pill to swallow because of human pride, but get over it and be content not to get it, right? I love doctrines that I don't fully understand. God would definitely not be so impressive if I understood everything, right? Well, don't get lost in the weeds of this. Just understand God's plan for you ends in your glorification. Matter of fact, he says glorified, past tense. And in the Greeks, when they would write, when, when they wanted to be so sure, something was absolutely so sure, they would use the past tense. He said, you're glorified. He said, I looked in the mirror this morning. I didn't look glorified. But it's so sure that you're glorified. You know, it's funny. You, you talk about a college, and you say, hey, what's your graduation, you know, what's your graduation rate? Ah, it's like 80, 90% of our, if you were to ask God, what, what's your glorification rate in salvation? God would say, what? What do you mean? God would not say, what do you mean? God would say, because um, God doesn't ask, what do you mean? He would say, 100%. Whoever I choose, I call, I justify, and they're glorified. Nobody, nobody, nobody is lost through the cracks. That's God's plan. That's God's incredible plan. I have a lot more on that. I just skipped it all. But he says, Hebrews 12, he's the author and finisher of our faith. I know some people say, you know, you, God looks in the future and he sees that you pick him for, and then so he picks you. That makes you the author of your salvation. You see, God's the author and he's the finisher. Another reason why we're secure, they won't all be that heavy. Um, God's priceless gift, verse 32, he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How would he not also along with him graciously give us all things. He gave the ultimate gift, his son, John three sixteen. That little phrase, he did not spare his son. It kind of takes us back to Genesis 22. Do you remember when Isaac laid down for the sacrifice and Abraham raised the knife? God stopped him and he says, Abraham, I now know that you love me because you did not spare 
your son, the son who you loved. And I thought to myself, there's so many similarities to Isaac and Christ. They were both loved by their father. They were both carrying the sacrifice, the wood up the hill. They both actually laid down to become the sacrifice. There's just one Grand Canyon, huge difference. And you know what it is. God followed through. And the Bible says, I think it's uh, Isaiah 55, it pleased the father to crush him. He had to be crushed. There's no other way that we could have been forgiven. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if there's any other way, but there wasn't. Paul says, if he gave his only son for you, that's the greatest thing God could ever give you. Why would you think that anything else would be hard for him, right? That's the ultimate gift that he gave that son. He gave his only son. He didn't hold him back. Do you think he's gonna kick you to the curb when you go your own way? Now, will God discipline the child of God? Absolutely. Hebrews 12 says he will discipline us. But he'll never abandon us. He'll never abandon us. I love this. Romans 5. I wrote it with a magic marker and I can barely see it. For if while we were enemies, while when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. By his life. How costly was that gift? that he gave. First Peter says it was the precious blood of Christ. Now the third reason, God's full pardon. Or you could circle pardon and say forgiveness if you don't know what pardon means. And now we're in the courtroom of God for, for a, just one verse and he says this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. You have to understand what God justifies means. When you come to Christ, when a person repents and believes in the gospel, God declares that person righteous and forgiven based on what Christ did on the cross. It's like a courtroom scene. And you're sitting there with all your sin and you just say, Father, I'm guilty. I throw myself on the mercy of the court. That's your confession. And God says, based on what Christ did for you on the cross, I declare you forgiven and I declare you righteous. And he gives you Christ's righteousness. That's what it means when it says God justifies. God justifies us. Probably one of the most biblical songs I have ever heard is before the throne of God above. And there's just one phrase here. It says, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's salvation. When you come to Christ, if you're online or if you're in this room and you've never come to Christ, when you come to Christ and you confess your sins and you believe that the gospel, that God loved you so much he sent his only son, God looks at him, what Christ did on the cross, and he pardons you. 
Is it any wonder that the writer says, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? You can't be retried. I can't imagine an attorney coming up after God pronounced that verdict and saying, Your Honor, I'd like to retry this and reverse the decision. That's double jeopardy, and you can't do that. And once God declares you righteous, you are eternally righteous. Once God forgives you, you are eternally forgiven. Once you are pardoned, you are fully eternally pardoned by God. God's perfect plan, his priceless gift, his full pardon or forgiveness, and his finished work, his finished work. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, he is also risen, and who is at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Christ's finished work on the cross makes us eternally secure. It says he died. He died for us. I mean, there's only one way that we could be forgiven. And it's if the spotless lamb of God was sacrificed on a cross. And you gotta remember something. When I talk about the death of Christ, it had to be more than just Christ stopped breathing, okay? He couldn't have just come and lived a full life and died of old age. It wasn't so much his death. He had to live a perfect life and a perfect death. And you know what a perfect life is. He lived it. It was sinless. It was a sinless life, and he kept every, every law perfectly. But what's a perfect death? Perfect death is he had to be crucified on a tree. Because Deuteronomy says, cursed is every man that was put on a tree. He had to be pierced, his hands and his feet, because Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 says he had to be pierced. He had to be sacrificed on Passover day, and he was, because he was the what? He was the Passover lamb. He, he had to be perfect, because it had to be a perfect lamb. You see, all these things, it was a perfect death. And then he had to rise again. He rose again for us. If he didn't rise from the dead, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, you are the opposite of secure right now, okay? The exact opposite of secure, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ didn't raise from the dead. We're not only most men to be pitied. He, he says that later, but he said something just incredible. You are still in your sins. But reverse that. If Christ did rise from the dead, then I'm not in my sins anymore. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And I think Christ's resurrection was a visible, really a visible proof that God was pleased with the sacrifice of his son on Calvary. And that gives us rock solid security. It says he is at God's right hand for us. There's nobody more powerful. That's the, that's the seat of authority and power and honor. And he's holding on to you. Listen to this incredible verse. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. There's another verse that I love. 
I wrote at the end in a magic marker that I barely can read again. John 6, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me. That all, listen to this, this is incredible. That I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. You know how many people Christ has lost? As many people as, right? He's never lost anybody. It says, I shall lose none, but raise them up on the last day. Nobody. Christ doesn't say, oh, that's right, him. Ah, that's right. Yeah, well, still, it's 99.9%. It says, I shall lose none. And I'll tell you something. If Christ, because the verse before that says he's the shepherd. Remember, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. If He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. If he loses one sheep, that's a death blow, a direct blow against his saving power. So he can't lose anyone that he has saved. He can't lose anyone. I hope that gives you rock solid security. And it says he's, he's sitting down. It doesn't say he's sitting down there. He's at the right hand of God. But Hebrews 10, 12 says he's, he sat down. When his priestly work was done, he sat down. And uh, Hebrews 10, 11 says that no priest ever sits down because they're always busy doing sacrifices, just busy, 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 busy. Christ performed one sacrifice of himself on the cross. And he said in John 19, what? It is finished. And he sat down. He says, it's finished for all eternity. There, there, there doesn't need to be any other sacrifice. You know, it's amazing. Every other religion you just look on the internet. Don't look on the internet. That's terrible. Just trust me. It's do, 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 do. You must do this. You must do this. You must do this. Christianity, it's already been done. It's done. It is finished. And it seems like he only stands to welcome believers that come into glory. Do you remember when Stephen was stoned and he says I looked up to heaven and I see Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God and Jesus said I saw him standing so it seems like whenever he stands he's welcoming us into heaven because he has such joy to see us he also intercedes for us you say why does he have to intercede for us I thought our sins were forgiven they are first John 1 9 Sean quoted this last week he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have an enemy, and he's called many names. Satan, the devil, Lucifer. He's also called the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation 12.10, and it says, he accuses us night and day before the Father. With hellish and harmful charges night and day. He's like a celestial tattletale. Like he's, he stands before God. God allows him to do this. He doesn't break through heaven. Somehow this happens. And he's like, Gino Desimone, seriously? Have you seen him lately? His weak faith? He's inconsistent, sinful, selfish, prideful? You shed your blood for him? He's just accusing us constantly. And it says Christ is just our advocate, 1 John 2, 2. He just says he's interceding for us. And I don't know what he's saying 
I mean, I can't tell you the exact words, but I'll tell you what. It may be something like this, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in what? Christ Jesus. So he's probably saying, listen, a lot of what you're saying about him, it's true. <laughs> he is prideful. He is inconsistent. But he's in Christ. And I paid for his sins, all of them, past, present, and future. Every sin he's ever committed, I, I bore on the cross. And there is no condemnation because he's my child. And he says that about you if you know Christ this morning. That's a wonderful, wonderful encouragement. So don't fear him. First John says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is one of my favorite passages too. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely, or some of your King James Bibles say, to the uttermost. Remember that? Those who come to God through him, and then it says he ever lives to make intercession for us. He ever lives to make intercession. But what if I fall? What if I, what if I fall and I can't recover? Listen to Jude 24. Now unto him, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. I always wondered whose joy that was. I know it will be mine, but you know what? When I look at this passage, it looks like it's God's joy as he presents me faultless my entire life. And he just says, ladies and gentlemen, child of God, faultless. And the joy that fills Christ's heart to know that there's a glorified saint going into eternity. So you will sometimes fall, but he'll always pick you up and you will have moments of doubt, but he will help you with your unbelief. And I have a note here, you will stray sometimes far away from him, but he will go to any lengths to find you and bring you back to his fold. That's how much he loves us. Now Paul gives a beautiful ending to this, to this great question, can anything separate us from the love of Christ? One writer called this the believer's hymn of security. Look at verse 35. It says, who shall separate us from the, the love of Christ? You know the word who and what? It's the same word in the Greek. You just have to kind of determine what, and I think this is not who, but I think this is what, because afterwards is a bunch of what's, okay? So this is what shall separate us from the love of Christ. Can anything? And I have a note here, the triune God is doing all these things for you. What terrible trial, what painful disease could you be going through right now in this world can make a dent, make a dent in the strong love that God has surrounded you with. And so he says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? These are all, you know, Paul's just not, uh, he didn't learn this in seminary. Paul went through every single one of those. When he says tribulation, he was through it. Distress, oh my goodness, he was through it. Persecution, yes. 
distress, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. That's the only one he hadn't been through yet, sword, death. But in a few years, he'll lay his head down on a chopping block and have his head removed by Nero. And he says in verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, just because you're secure in Christ doesn't mean you will not face some really hard things in this life. Remember what he says in Romans 8, 18? The suffering of this present life can't be compared to the glory that God will show us after. The Roman Christians, you read church history, oh man, they're about ready to enter into a time of persecution where they were wrapped in animal skins and then bears and dogs and lions were chasing them. And maybe we're headed for terrible persecution. You know, just because we're headed for persecution in our lives, some people say, I know the Lord's coming back. And I said, well, yeah, he said he'd come back quickly, but why do you say that right now? He goes, well, I just know he's coming back because the United States is starting to become kind of persecuted. It's like the Lord's in heaven saying, okay, that's it, USA. It, you may go through, we may go through persecution and the Lord may not come back. He just may allow us to go through persecution and he will keep us from stumbling and he will keep us to be faithful and he will give us strength. Just because Things are changing doesn't mean he's coming back right away. Now, every day when you get up, you should say, even comes, even, so come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But then you need to realize that even if you go through a tough time, he'll be there for you. You won't deny the faith. Somebody said the other day, I, I'm afraid I'll take the mark. And then I'm like, well, okay, we're eating dinner. Maybe we shouldn't talk about the mark right now. Um, but then I just said, listen, he will keep you from stumbling. And you'll be raptured anyway, so you won't have to worry about the mark. Um, Pastor Phil will explain that when he talks about the second coming. <laughs> and then you get, let me ask you a question, Paul. This is what I think that they're saying. You say we're like sheep for the slaughter in one verse. And then you say we're more than conquerors in the other verse. Um, which are we? And he says you're both. You're, sh you're sheep for the slaughter. And you're more than a conqueror. And I'm sure they're wondering, uh, what? Because of Romans 8.28, remember? I said, God is such a powerful, sovereign God that he takes every single thing in my life that has happened to me and causes it to work out for my ultimate good and his glory. And that's an absolute death blow to the devil and his demons because nothing he does to me and nothing he does to you can ever sever your relationship to Jesus Christ. You realize that? Listen to this. Stephen, I'm sure on a demonic whiteboard, they're trying to plan out Stephen was a man of God. It says he was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and they're planning it out in Acts chapter six. We gotta, we gotta kill this guy. He's so strong in the word of God. And so they're planning out, let's do something. Let's just get him. Let's incite the people. Let's incite the people to kill Stephen. 
And so they kill Stephen. They stone him. They put their clothes at the feet of a young man named what? Saul. Saul gets saved, turns the world upside down for Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? God will cause all those things in our lives. Now, you say, my life, it's just like, it's, when? When is he gonna, when am I gonna see the ultimate good? Because it's pain, 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 a little rest, and then pain. I can't promise you that on this earth, there'll be, you'll see the full picture of what God was doing. But I can promise you this, you live a life of pain, 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 you die, you're like Christ, you're with him forever. You understand what I'm saying? We win, we're more than conquerors. Now look at the last verse, for I'm persuaded, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's how I want to live my life. I want to live my life with that confidence, that rock-solid security that I'm in the Father's hand. I'm in the hand in the shepherd's hand. I came across an incredible story from Fox's Book of Martyrs. It happened in the 16th century when uh, they were being persecuted for their faith. And do you remember Queen Mary, Mary Tudor, Bloody Mary was just killing Christians. And they, they were trying, she killed 288 pastors. Wanted them to renounce their faith. And two of the men were in prison. One was a mature Christian. The other one was a new Christian. He was scared to death. And they were in the same cell. And the weak Christian said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to die. I don't like fire. I've been watching these burnings. The, 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 the flames just burning. You're tied and chained. You're chained to a post. He goes, I'm scared to death. I'm thinking about recanting. And he says, do me a favor. He says, you're burned at the stake tomorrow. I'll be in the crowd. He said, if God is giving you mercy, if God is giving you grace, if God is showing his love to you and he's near to you, will you, will you just raise one hand to show me so I'm not so afraid? And the mature Christian said, I will. The next day, he was chained to the post and the fire began to rise and that weak Christian was watching him. And the fire was getting, getting higher and there was no hand being raised. And he's, he's, he's afraid and he's thinking, he's losing hope as that gets almost up to his neck, almost consumed his body. And right before he's ready to give up hope, this, this courageous man raises both hands and he claps three times. And it just told that weak Christian, I can face this because God's mercy endures forever and there is always grace to help in time of need and not even death can separate us from the strong, powerful, protective love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope you're encouraged by that. Let's all stand. I hope you never forget that. I don't know if you're going through a rough time right now that maybe you're doubting that. We can help. We can help. We have people that will pray with you up here and we even have people online. If you're online, we have people that will help you right then. 
maybe you say, wow, the love you're talking about, Christ, he sounds so beautiful. I'd love to know him as my savior. You can, whether you're online or whether you're here. We can help you trust Christ. You could leave today being one of those who were in the hand of the shepherd. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, what an incredible passage of scripture. We'll love this passage till we die. We'll quote it on our lips. We, just that story of you uh, staying with that believer, it's not a one in a million story. You're with every single believer, not only in their death, but in their life and whatever we go through. Can you help us to keep remembering that? When we fear, can you help us to remember that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? And can you help us to always remember that you are able to keep us from stumbling or falling and to present us before faultless before the presence of your glory with great joy? God, burn these truths into our minds and our hearts, for it's in Christ's name. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for joining our worship service online today. Our prayer is that the worship and teaching will inspire you to love God, love others, and influence the world for Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, we'd love to know about it. You can click on the link for our online connection card. If you haven't yet, you can download our church app and you can see more opportunities and messages and even share this message with a friend. And go to our website, fbcelkhart.org, for even more opportunities. We hope to see you back here next Sunday morning at FBC Elkhart.